podcast with your producer, Seattle Who. Welcome to a special birthday edition of the Who Cast, the Who's Place podcast. We're recording this on Sunday, and yes, it is my birthday today. I'm your host, Val Prohaska, and here to help me dissect and then move on from just the very worst birthday present possible is Who's Place founder, Seattle Who, and we're joined specially today by Brian Geisinger, who hosts his own podcast, the BuzzBeat podcast about the Charlotte Hornets, but for the purpose of our podcast, covers the ACC and the NBA draft. Welcome, Seattle. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Val. Yeah, this is this is Seattle. Uh, and uh, Brian, thanks for coming on the show. I know I've been reading your stuff in accsports.com for a couple of years now, and, uh, and also your tweets. I like the way you break things down, and so it's really it's great to have you today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Looking forward to it. Well, wonderful. So um, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but uh, you know, the Who's traveled to uh, Blacksburg yesterday, and after a promising first half, had their asses handed to them in the second. What yeah, I think it's main it's, takeaway, Brian. I think it was sorry. I think it's funny. But the the final score actually wound up being very much what um, I wrote an article and, and said the final score should be based on what I could see. Only I got the teams completely reversed. Um, <laughs> I was seeing sixty five fifty one in our favor. So, um, but I'm going to make my one comment on the game, and then I'm going to leave it to Brian and Val if you want to talk about it. I I don't. Um, but I will say that Keve Aluma coming out and hitting two threes completely changed the game. It completely transformed him from a player that I thought Jay Huff could guard into a player that we had no answer for. And, um, you know, if he had continued on his way of not being a three-point threat, I think it's a totally different game. Um, but that that turned him into just really the monster that could not be tamed. Yeah, well, confidence I mean, is a real thing, you know. I mean, players get get motivated, get psyched, and I mean that first one of his was a thing of beauty. I mean, it just he looked natural. He looked better than anybody else had been shooting, you know, out there. And you know, obviously, if he gets pumped and is up for the game, you know, that that you're right, that changes the arc. Yeah, I mean, Aluma had a had a great game. The for you know from every level of the court, and I just thought. Virginia Tech, Mike Young's a terrific coach, and I thought they did a really good job with a couple of different actions and sets um, going after uh, Huff or whomever was guarding Aluma, uh, Keve Aluma, and then also some of the like off-ball games they were playing with some of UVA's guard and wing defenders, and I thought uh, you know Couture shook loose from Trey Murphy a couple times in the second half, even Jalen Cohn was able to get away from you know, Reese Beekman, who's a really good off-ball chase defender. Just Virginia Tech's really tough uh, to guard. But as far as, like, Aluma goes, you know, Virginia's guarded a lot of pick-and-roll this year, but, with, with, but guarding ball screens flat, right? Like, not having a, a show or a hedge and having Huff, you know, come up pretty high, you know, maybe almost to the level of the screen, but basically in some sort of high drop coverage. Um and I just thought Virginia Tech did a really good job with what's called veer action, which is when they take Keve Aluma and they would have him run up like he was about to set a ball screen for Wabisa Bide or one of the other Virginia Tech guards. And 
right just before he got to set the screen, like not even a full slip, but he would just dive out and go to the opposite side of the court, and you'd see him either screen away or just pop into the corner. That was how he got one of those first threes was off that little um, a little veer action, and they mirror that on the baseline with a cross screen into the post for for Justin Mutz. Um, and, and the the Mutz Aluma you know front court duo has just been has been really solid for Virginia Tech this year. I, I liked Mutz a, a lot at Delaware last year, and I'm I'm not surprised that he's turned into like a good impact role player. Um, but then even you saw when Virginia Tech just sort of flattened things out and went spread pick and roll. That's when they went to the ball screen slips with Aluma versus Huff. And look, this is nothing new. I mean, teams have been attacking Virginia's defense with stuff like this for a while now. Virginia knows what Years. to do. Years. You know, Virginia knows what to do. Yeah, it's not like, oh, Mike Young, you know, is split the atom to come up with the perfect offensive game plan to 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 attack Virginia's defense. Um, but they just also like they have good offensive players. They made they made big shots um, in Aluma. Uh, as Seattle indicated, you know, he stepped out and hit those two early threes. And yeah, that's like, that's a game changer because like they're tough to guard offensively and from deep, even when Aluma and, and Mutz don't contribute out there, they've got so many shooters with Cone and Couture and Aline. And of course, you know, there's probably, you'd rather play Virginia Tech without Tyrese Radford but as great of a player as he is, when he's not on the court, they can load up and put even more shooting out there, right? Like, you know, Radford's great, but he's all inside 15 feet, 18 feet. And they, this just means more playing time for Aline and Cone and Couture, who are awesome, awesome off-ball movers and, um, and shooters. And then I just thought defensively, Virginia Tech did a nice job rotating moving around even some of like Virginia's first half threes that went down, you know, they were, they went under the pick and roll against Kihei Clark. And I think that's how Clark got at least two threes in the first half was just BD going under the ball screen and give, give Kihei credit credit. Like he stepped up and, and hit two big threes. But um, that's something you probably live with most of the time against Virginia's offense. Cause there's just so much other firepower out there that, you know, if Kihei's going to, you know, shoot, pull up threes, out of the ball screen offense, um, you know, you probably li- you probably do live with that. And then, you know, Trey Murphy got a one that was late in the clock. And, and I want to say maybe there was another three. Hauser got like an ISO three late in the shot clock too, where, you know, Virginia Tech guarded great for 28 seconds. And then just, you know, <laughs> two of the very tall men who were great at shooting three pointers for Virginia just stepped up and hit, you know, these monster shots. But I just thought there were some timely switches between Aluma and Mutz. And for the most part, Virginia Tech's defense was just sort of like rotating on a string um, and taking away a lot of the stuff that Virginia likes to get out of that little middle thirds inside triangle offense. Yeah, they played a lot better. Their their rotations were way better than I saw on video. I, I yes. highlighted that as a weakness that could be attacked because against Notre Dame, yeah. man, their rotations were terrible. And so, yeah, you know, it, for them, that I the, the post offense and the pick and roll offense were what I – had highlighted as areas that we could attack them and we got shit out of both of them. Yeah. It just wasn't there last night. I mean, they played, they played a great defensive game. That's, that's yeah. like what I'm saying is though, even when they did it without fouling and, and look, maybe that's a whole other <laughs> conversation too. Uh, yeah. That's know, what I really but, don't want to get into um, at yeah, all. Yeah. I had a feeling. 
<laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, I could read the room. I could read the, the chat yeah. room here. And, I mean, uh, the, the, the number, the number 12 team in the ACC in opponent free throw rate, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're up to number eight um, but, now. They climbed yeah, four climbed spots in one game. Yeah. Look, they, you know, they uh, kick their asses and they do it every so often. And the, the thing that bothers me is that um, it really, it it just, we have weaknesses that we thought had gone away that maybe hadn't gone away. They had just been covered because of the opponents that we were playing. And, um, you know, I, I, Jay Huff has never really been a big factor against Virginia Tech because earlier in his career, they were a donut team and they put out these six, five guys who were basically three point shooters and, and he couldn't guard that. So he wouldn't be able to play. And I was like, well, Aluma, you know, he, he come in a guy who almost most of his shots are at the rim. He's very good at the rim and he's a, he's a post player and he's not a threat to shoot the three and, and all that. So this is a guy now they have a, a traditional, more traditional big man who's very good, but is the kind of player that Huff can guard. Think Amir Sims, you know, who mm-hmm. Huff has, has owned and, it just that, you know, I knew Mutz was going to be a problem. Um, I, I had been thinking maybe Trey Murphy was a better defender on Mutz than, than Hauser. I almost wanted to rather, would rather have seen Hauser trying to guard Elaine or, or Couture than, than Mutz. Um, yeah. I, I thought Hauser was going to be a defensive problem, but I thought Hauser was going to be able to get a lot of points in the post on the other side because I looked at Synergy and, in, and Virginia Tech is in the bottom 10% of, the, of Division One in their post-defense in terms of the points per possession that they give up. So it's, all right, well, Hauser's a great post scorer, so let's let's look at that. Maybe even Jay Huff can get some stuff in a post. And, and it, it just didn't it didn't turn out that way um, at all because Aluma yeah. hit those threes, and all of a sudden, you know, now you have to come out there, and, and he's a good faker, and when he makes that fake, it, it allowed him to drive with, a, with an aggressiveness that he wouldn't have been able to if he hadn't hit those threes, and it, it meant... You know, all of a sudden now, you know, Huff is kind of useless defensively. The the only I didn't want to talk about it, but here I am. The only thing that I saw that really worked at all against Aluma was Trey Murphy, and we only saw that a little bit in the first half, and then we never saw Murphy on him again. Um, uh, maybe they did late. I don't know. I stopped watching it at, right around the seven minute mark because I needed to preserve the rest of my day. So, <laughs> um, and I I knew what was going to happen. I I knew that one was you know going the way it was it wound up going um but anyway you know so we a certain kind of big man is going to take jay huff out of the game and we are extremely reliant dependent on on jay huff we're just without him on the floor we're kind of a mediocre team so if you can take him out of the game because yeah yeah well that's because his backup is kafaro who's Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the definition. I mean, if baseball, they talk about wins above replacement, right? I mean, yeah, Kifaro but you know, Kafaro's been playing well. Player, he's a body. Yeah. Well, I... no, he he fouls. He can't. He struggles in the post. I mean, he's much bigger than Aluma, but he couldn't. Well, he's a bad Aluma matchup for Aluma, also. I mean, so you know, if we had Caden Shedrick, things might have been different because Shedrick's the guy who physically can can handle Aluma. But you know, Shedrick. I don't know. Are we ever going to see him again this season? Uh, Case Cody Statton, are we going to see him again this season? I mean, nobody's really talked about how you know we've lost a significant amount of our depth oh, yeah. and options. And yeah, you know, I, I thought what else got exposed yesterday was Trey Murphy's inability to handle the ball, um, which is why he was not an ACC player before he grew to be six nine. 
He's only an ACC right. player now as a, as a standstill shooter and a straight line baseline driver when the defense, you know, goes away from him. He, he cannot, he cannot handle the ball against pressure and he cannot drive against pressure. And, uh, you know, that, that's another weakness that, that was shown up. And I, it's, you know, the, the, I think the, um, Gonzaga loss did not shake my belief in the ultimate potential of this team or, or how good, you know, we were going to be or how well we were going to be in the ACC. This one does because of the flaws, the exploitable flaws that um, some of our upcoming ACC opponents are really going to be able to take advantage of. Uh, this one really. Um, well, I mean, I, I think it was, for me, it was just, you know, the loss of energy. Um you know, when we're doing that little triangle in the middle, you know, we've got two wings who are just basically standing, yeah. you know, and so there's no movement. And when you look at anybody, when any of those guys decides to cut across the lane, whether it's Murphy or Marcel or Beekman, they're sauntering across, you know, and if you if you were watching Cone yesterday, you know, when yeah, he's well, moving, that's... he is sprinting across yeah. and he's getting open. And so our guys aren't getting separation when they when when they're moving and that was what that's what that's what i saw so you know brian you mentioned it you know there were four shots that we hit late in the shot clock like Mm -hmm. one second left and in the first half all those went in you know and so we built this lead and it's great shooting but it, it really was masking the fact that our offense was just incredibly stagnant and that's my concern and that's been my concern all season and we are capable of ramping that up and I'm not, so I, I'm not really shaken by this loss. I mean, I'm pissed because it's tech, you know, but it's, it's the fact that I still think we control our destiny. And if we come out and we play half-assed, you know, this is the ACC. You've got to bring your A game and we didn't bring it. They brought theirs, you know, they're at home, you know, and you know, they feel like they have a home court advantage but it's always going to come down to, you know, who wants it more. And, and we were just amazingly lethargic. So I, I, I think that just becomes a motivation issue. And, and I'm not really worried about these flaws that got exposed so much as, you know, their weaknesses and every team's got one. Every team's got them. I just hated the, the, the low energy. Yeah. I, I think know? you guys brought up a good point about the, like, the – Huffless minutes. He only played 23 minutes yesterday. A um, little bit of foul trouble, and you could see to 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 your points about Kafaro. Um, I mean, you know, five minutes, two turnovers, three fouls. He's just sort of is a body. They tried to go uh, to Justin McCoy as like the de facto center in the second half, and they even tried the uh, you know Sam Hauser, Trey Murphy, small ball four five combo. Uh, for eight minutes in this game yesterday, they were minus two in that. They've only played that look about 22 minutes so far this season. They're minus 16 in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting, and, and I'm not going to draw too many too, too many too, too many conclusions off uh, off 22 minutes with that group. Um, but yeah, has not has not gone. Uh, it has massive defensive great. weaknesses because exactly. those two guys yes. are they're um, Murphy is at times a very good on-ball defender. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, 
Hauser and Murphy both are still um, very frequently liabilities off the ball in the with mm-hmm. the rotations and the team concepts and all. And so, if those are your if those are your two bigs, you you got problems. Our, our front court defense is still a weakness. And when Huff's out there, um, he masks a lot of that with his rim protection. But um, mm-hmm. certain opponents, you know. There's just a certain, you know, Ralph Sampson had a certain kind of opponent that was his Achilles heel that he couldn't handle. Buck Williams was a perfect example of a guy who, you know, should not have been able to deal with Ralph, but he would just tie Ralph up in knots and mm-hmm. push him all over the place. And, and Sort of um, like Wes Unseld against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so the, Huff has a type yeah. that he just can't, he can't match up with, and, and Aluma transformed into that type of player, and... We're gonna we're gonna face more of those, so we've got to figure out how to either protect Huff or and we don't really have any options. I mean, to of somebody else to put on a guy like that. I thought you know, like I said, I thought Murphy did all right, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, Hauser and Murphy are guys that they have to give you enough on the offensive end for what you lose with them on defense. And you know, yesterday they didn't do that. With, with how Tech was using Aluma, yeah, maybe a little more foot speed would have been would have been like a advantageous at times. Like you said, the two face up buckets he had in the first half, you know, one was they threw it to Mutz at the elbow. Mm-hmm. They ran like a little split action to the weak side of the court. Aluma popped out and then sort of like shoulder faked, shot faked a huff, and it was just like wide open path right to the rim uh, for a dunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, Huff, I mean, look, Huff's been arguably the best player in the ACC so far. He's been really good this year. He's been um, one of them. I say one of the yeah. top three. Uh, Justin Champagne yeah. and, and Jose Alvarado yes. have been sensational. Alvarado had another Sh- incredible game yesterday. He was a monster. And Champagne, a- I mean, Champagne is Champagne's incredible. The numbers yeah. uh, and what he's doing this season are are completely, he's ridiculous. Like, he's just a total stud. He kicks ass and in every game, but like as good as Huff, as like impactful as Huff can be defensively. I mean, that's really when he's like at his, at his, at his, like at his weakest moments or just like guarding a faster guy mm-hmm. in space off some advantage. Like that's really, that's hard for any college center to guard. Right. Um, but even for a good one, like Huff, you know, yeah, that's, that's a pretty tough ask. Yeah. And if, the, you know, if the guy, if he doesn't have to worry about the guy shooting a three, then he can compensate for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. But when the guy's a threat to pick and pop or you know shoot to three, and he has to go out there and and defend the three, that just that's what makes it untenable for him. Because mm-hmm. then the other player, you know, if he's wily and Aluma is wily, can take advantage of that. And uh, and we have nobody, we have no alternatives, and our offense mm-hmm. without Huff is just uh, pedestrian. It really changes everything. We've been, I, I don't even know what our plus minus is without Huff on the floor, but I know it's bad. Um, so. Yeah. I, I mean, like, he is the best way for them offensively to get north south, right? Because of what he does in the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Like, when they spread it out and they run pick and roll, I mean, you need Huff. Huff's gravity in the middle of the court is huge. Because even when they run those ball screens with Hauser, and, and they spread things out. I mean, that's really tough to guard, but, you know, Sam wants to pick and pop and, and, and chuck threes. And, like, that's great. Like, he's awesome at that. So Yeah, I mean, if you look at Synergy, Hauser's never been a strong pick-and-roll role man. He actually has – his efficiency no. yeah. numbers are actually way better as the pick-and-roll ball handler than as the role man. Yeah. 
and, and that's just like to him to get to his like pull up three or, or the right. mid range game where he's been he's been lethal this year. But like last couple you, games, you not so him. much. Yeah. Yeah, and you can all, but like, and part of that too is because like it's so jump shot reliant, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's methodical. He's not super twitchy. Like he's not going to get to the rim and draw a lot of contact. And you can you can look at his overall free throw attempt rate. You can look at the synergy numbers and just see how little he draws fouls or shooting fouls on on these post ups or whatever. Um, But but Huff is how they get north south, and also like he's what unlocks the five out you know Mm -hmm. spread offense because he's a seven footer that can catch a lob and and he's making you know 40 percent of his threes this year like that's that's totally dynamic and gives them an edge offensively that even when they play small and those that very small sample size with hauser and murphy as the four five like they they don't have someone that can rim run out of the ball screen to get north south or or Mm -hmm. you know slip to the rim and really pressure the rim if they go to move or blocker in those looks or, or blocker mover or whatever. Um, yeah, I like blocker mover. And, 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 and McCoy's and McCoy's just like a non-factor off. You know, off, I mean, I guess he hit a little jumper late in the game, but uh, he's just sort of like a non-factor offensively mm-hmm. for them at the moment. Same with Kafaro. Um, I thought Shedrick did some nice stuff early in the season offensively. Like he's a good mm-hmm. athlete with a big body, um, but yeah, you're just not going to get that with with you know Kafaro and, and McCoy. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, we have a big week coming up. We have NC State, and then we have Louisville. We absolutely have to beat NC State. Um, and in Louisville, I don't know what to make of Louisville. Uh, but um, So while we're still looking backwards, though, uh, the Hoos did get some uh, good news on Saturday in that uh, we got a commitment from uh, four-star guard and early Bennett's um, attention seeker uh isaac mcneely he's out of west virginia and a polka dot he strikes me as the kind of guy that is right in bennett's wheelhouse i mean he's a humble self-effacing guy seems like from the highlights he plays with a little bit of swagger a lot and because this is virginia he's a 4.0 high school student so (laughs) we've got a We've got a wonderful uh, preview that uh, Seattle who did, or I'm sorry, that St. Louis who did on the site with lots of video. Um, But uh, what are your thoughts on that, Seattle? I mean, all I need to know to be excited is that he was a Tony Bennett first choice. He's a Tony Bennett plan. I call them plan A recruits. I've got plan A, plan B, plan C, and plan D for Tony Bennett. And the Tony Bennett plan A recruits are – have probably got like a 95% success rate of being excellent players. Like like I was thinking yesterday, TBPAs go on to become NBPA members. Um, and so <laughs> this guy is a TBPA. Nice. Uh, he's a 6'4", 6'3", combo guard, probably more of a shooting guard, but you know we're going to need him to be a combo guard and to, to mesh with the other players that we've got and that we're recruiting. And I'm... Um, you know the the other thing that you can know about him is that he at Kentucky, Louisville, uh, and UNC had all offered him. So he's you know we pulled a fish out of the waters that those guys troll, and that makes him a high four star. Uh, but he's his he's got a, a tremendous game. He's got more bounce and physical aggression than we're used to having in our shooters. 
so he's a he's a drop dead shooter, a kind of a Ty Jerome kind of shooter, but also a, just a nasty physical player, and we definitely need that. Um, I, you know, we we get so very few of those, but um, you know, for Tony Bennett to go out and and get another one of his Plan A recruits, that's big. It, it's big for the future. Um, there's there's one of the things that's been said. Oh, the. <laughs> The whole thing that he's played the pack line and the and the blocker mover, uh, you know, I, I really hope. That I look at who Tony's been recruiting this year and and everything, and and it's something kind of it makes me feel like he wants to go back to the blocker mover pack line principles, mm-hmm. and you know, if McNeely, I, I don't, you know, I'm on record as hating. The sides offense, the blocker mover offense. I <laughs> I like BM as the initials for it, blocker mover, because then I can call it the bowel movement offense, because um, that's what I think of it. And I think our rise to power has coincided and at least partially been caused by our ability to get away from from that offense, because the ACC's got it completely figured out, and um, and it, it's really easy to guard for a opposing team that's got good defenders and prepares for it at all. So if you know McNeely's experience with the with the BM offense, it it really kind of leaves me cold. But fortunately, he's way more than than just that. So I can you know kind of move beyond it. But it's a great start to the recruiting class. We need it now. We need to get a big man. We desperately need a couple big men coming in. And I hope we can still. I think we can still fit Justin Taylor in there. He's a six six, uh, you know, kind of shooter. So he could be more the the wing forward to McNeely's combo guard. And, and I think those two guys could still play together and, you know, just be, think Lamp and Raker to go back to the, the early yeah. 80s. <laughs> I think those, sure. McNeely and Taylor would kind of pair up the way Lamp and Raker paired up. And uh, we just, you know, things are, are looking really good there for the future. So, uh, NC State offered McNeely, correct? I think, I think so. Yeah, I mean, a lot of yeah. other he had a lot of other yeah. offers, you know, than the, just. But the, those are the ones that that tell you what pool yeah. this kid is in. Yeah, well, the one of the reasons why I was bringing up state specifically is like to the combo nature of McNeely. And this is someone I I don't know much of as a, as a recruit, but given the incredible volume of pick and roll offense that NC State runs, mm-hmm. um, and they sort of yeah, I mean, when Markel Johnson was there that was a little more heliocentric of just like one guy sort of handling the ball with a little bit of help from Devin Daniels, Braxton Beverly or whatever. But so the point I'm trying to get to is that if you're going to go to NC state and you're a guard, like you're going to run some pick and roll. So it would lead me to think that like McNeely is a guy that ACC coaches are able to look at and say, no, 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 this guy gives us some, he can, he's not, you know, just a, a shooter or whatever. He's going to offer some some on ball uh, mm-hmm. creation as well, which is probably um, exactly what you want if you're looking for right. the, the combo guard types. Right. Yeah. 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 So I, to me, it yeah. You're right. Um, In any event, it's a win. It yeah. is a win. It's a huge win. It's a huge win. So it's you know it's a good sign for the future. I I think we well one of the weaknesses this team has is is on the wing the you know the wing area and he will definitely address that of course he's not coming in even next year but the year after but you know looking down the road he's the kind of player that can 
allow us to be sure that we're not a little bit weak on the wing, in, in, especially in terms of shooting shooters and ball handlers. So moving on from McNeely, um, you watched the uh, Georgia Tech-Florida State game. Um, I did. Georgia Tech looked like they gave us a present, you know, by knocking Florida State down yeah. a notch. I was uh, just how good was Alvarado yesterday? Alvarado, I, I still just the way he plays just amazes me because I I just remember him as a freshman and and you know that was a matchup that we exploited every single time and you know he he and Ty Jerome had a history because they they were in each other's high school league. And you know Jerome used to used to you know take him out behind the the gym and beat the shit out of him and take his lunch money and, and make him cry in high school, and he continued that at UVA. And now Alvarado as a senior is, in my opinion, maybe the best player in the conference because he's he's a a vicious shooter. He gets to the rim. He's great in transition. He distributes the ball, and defensively he's a menace with with his hands and the way he just reads the game and he knows when he can victimize a big man and, and come out and steal the ball and his, and his, you know, his passion, he, they desperately need him. He is the sole reason that they won that game. And, um, it's most of the game. I felt like Florida state is so scary. They're so long and they're so big and their arms everywhere. And, and how can anybody <laughs> handle these guys? And Georgia Tech's up by 11. Yeah. And it's like, wow, really? And, it's, you know, I thought yesterday it was a, it kind of showed, you know, everybody, of course, is talking up Virginia and Florida State is clearly the best teams in the league and the two that maybe could make a run at the national championship. And then, you know, yesterday they both got their asses kicked and, and we saw another step forward for the old traditional Blue Bloods, Duke and Carolina, who, you know, don't look now, but they're climbing their way up the table. And, um, you know, Duke, I've watched a little bit of them. And uh, I hate to say it, but I think they're back. I think they figured it out. And uh, this Jalen Johnson is, he's a difference maker. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he people talked about him preseason as a point guard, but he's really kind of playing as a big and as a big. He's incredibly disruptive. He's 6'8, 6'9. And, you know, he's just incredibly disruptive and he's really making everything go for them. And that's why um, he, he's the one who really is going to, gives me heartburn for us playing them. He's, you know, he's the kind of player that's, that's going to be very difficult for us to handle. You know, I think Jason Tatum and Brandon Ingram are two or two earlier guys of that size and, and ability who, you know, basically beat us single-handedly or, you know, the help of a five step up and down last you know last second <laughs> shot but um and then carolina you know these two teams they they show you what five stars can mm-hmm. can do because carolina's baby backcourt is starting to look really good and they're all five-star recruits and and they're playing like it and you know if you pair you pair that with what they have in the post um that they run sharp is a monster. I mean, Garrison Brooks is the preseason ACC player of the year, and and, he, and he's only the third best big on his own team. Exactly. Um, exactly. And it's it's hilarious that the, fact. The de- yeah, the defensive intensity, the defensive hustle and scramble that I've seen out of Carolina the last few times I've watched him is what is what has me thinking that they're they're now a very definite 
challenger for the conference and mm-hmm. a team that that have really have to watch out for, and you know them and, and Duke. Um, so, I you know teams, Florida State, you know they're they just have so many players and, and Virginia. You know, look, we got a, a ton of talent and and great coaching and all. So it's not like we're gonna go away, but I, I think yesterday was a little dose of reality in the games. This conference. It's going to tighten up, and it's going to be very tough at the top. And Virginia Tech, you know, they they announced that they're here, and they're here to stay, and they're going to be at the top. They're definitely fighting for not only a bye, but for the conference regular season championship, mm-hmm. um, which is good. It's it's good. I mean, you know, I don't live in Virginia. I live out here. There are very few Hokies, so I don't have to deal with the, the day-to-day <laughs> bullshit of living with Hokies around you. So, you know, that part of – of the rivalry doesn't exist for me. So I'm, you know, for me, I can see objectively it's good for Virginia state and it's good for the ACC and everything. If both Virginia and Virginia tech are really good, but I know living there as a who surrounded by Hokies, has got to be a freaking nightmare because those people <laughs> are just, they're like the annoying little brother, you know, just, yeah. I, I thought uh, the FSU Georgia tech game yesterday, I thought, like, I love Florida State basketball. They're wonderful. Um, and this team's really, really good. You mentioned the size they have is just – it's comical. I, sp- I swear, too, also with the camera angle that you have for those Georgia Tech games, which is just a little more low and tight, mm-hmm. it-, it felt like on some possessions you're just like, there's nowhere to pass the ball oh, I know. against FSU. <laughs> just like, where are the spaces on the court? But um, Are you a it- Tolkien fan? Say that again. Are you a Tolkien fan, Lord yes, of the Rings? Yes, yes, one hundred. Yes, it, it, they 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 make me think of the old forest. <laughs> yeah, there's just no there's no room. There's size absolutely everywhere on the court in this. Even like especially this year because they have you know they're playing Scotty Barnes as their de facto you know six nine point guard and right. Rayquan Clay is their you know two hundred and sixty pound six foot eight point guard. But it, I thought yesterday sort of got to. The one real, the biggest flaw this FSU team has, which is as good as Barnes is, and he's going to be a lottery pick, and as solid as MJ Walker has been, although he's been the last three or four games, he's sort of uh, been struggling a little bit. And as great as Raekwon Gray is handling the ball as like a you know playmaking power forward, they're missing like in in Raekwon Evans is, is like a is a solid ACC guard too, but they're just missing like an obvious pick and roll creator. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's no trend force anymore. Um, and I think because of that, the half court offense can get, a, can just sort of bog down a little bit. And there's no one that you can just say, Hey, give this guy the ball and you're guaranteed going to get a good shot, whether, or a decent shot, whether they're going to take it or they're going to find, find it for somebody else. Yeah. And, and so I just think, especially when the game slows down a little bit, you get into some of these leverage situations that's when FSU's offense can look tough. Now Walker has been a, a playmaker for them this year for sure, but you know he's more of like a, an attacking guard, and he wants to really get downhill and, and pressure the rim, or or even if he's going to you know you know playmake from the mid range, he really wants to look for his own shot. And they're just right. they're, lim- they're limited a little bit in that one way, and against a good Georgia Tech defensive team, that's going to mix things up. That's got an elite, you know, steals artist in Alvarado. Um, Moses Wright gets a lot of steals too. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's tough. Um, I thought you saw Jordan Tech too. They down the stretch of that game, they went to this little what's called horns twist, 
like, I don't know, man, almost like eight or 10 straight possessions, which is like, is a horn set with one ball screen on one side of the, the initial defender and then another ball screen coming to the opposite side of the switch defender. And they were just letting DeVoe or Alvarado cook against those switches. Mm-hmm. Um, in some of those times that meant Alvarado was you know roaming the baseline or, or DeVoe was roaming the baseline, but I just thought they kept getting good action out of that. Right. And like give Josh Bassner credit. Like it was working and it wasn't like he just went to it. I mean, every possession down the stretch, go back and rewatch the last 10 minutes of that game. You'll see that horn set a ton from, from Georgia tech. And then like with Duke and Jalen Johnson, like I, I think people, when people were, I think overreacting a little bit to Duke's the losing streak and I get it. It's easy to overreact on, on a week to week basis uh, with college hoops. Like I do it myself, but like, and Jalen Johnson was around for some of those games, including a little bit of the Virginia Tech game. And he played a lot against Pittsburgh um, and was quite good. But, like, I think people kind of forgot that, like, Jalen Johnson might not be – he's not going to be the ACC player of the year for sure. But, like, he's the best prospect in, in the ACC, period. He's the most mm-hmm. talented player in the conference. This guy's going to be a top six or seven pick in the draft and, and what in, a, in, like, a loaded draft. Um, and he just checks so many boxes for them because Duke – wasn't getting to the free throw line at all when Johnson was out of the lineup. And you've seen the last two games, including mm-hmm. the Jordan Tech game, uh, you know, he and Hurt and Stewart all had six or more free throw attempts, all had a lot of usage in that game. Johnson gives them, he's like a, while he's not a point guard, he's like a connector, a link up player for them. So the transition pushes that he then kicks out to somebody. Or when Hurt gets doubled in the post, you throw it to Johnson, he can either attack mm-hmm. or then he can kick out. Like, He's not a guy you're just going to spread out and run a you know uh, ISO offense for. In fact, I think that's really when he shows. No, some he's of his, better. Yeah, I just think he's he just he shows some of his limitations. Like he's great and he's stronger than he looks, but side to side without like a some advantage created, he's not. His first step isn't like lethal. Mm-hmm. So I think he's better when you throw it to him as like a secondary creator, and that's really when you get the best out of him. But he gives them, you know, he gives them a guy that can pressure the rim. He gives them another creator offensively, and he gives them a guy that can like create events defensively. And by that, I mean steals and blocks. And so he just checks so many boxes for them, and he allows them to play the identity that they wanted at the start of the year, which was five out around Matthew Hurt. But when you were doing that, as good as guys like Coleman or Jamin Brakefield are, um, or you know playing Wendell Moore Jr. at the four, they're just they're not Jalen Johnson, man. No. Like. And so now they're they're finally getting back to the style of play that they wanted at the start of the year, and they're finally getting to do it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he gives them something that they haven't had the last couple of years. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he makes them more of a championship threat. Um, but, yeah, you know, two teams that I don't see as being in that tier are our next two opponents, NC State and Louisville. We have NC State on Wednesday, and we have Louisville on Saturday. And uh, NC State is reeling from the loss of Devin Daniels. Brian, I read your article on that. Um, you know, a lot of great work, and you know that definitely changes them. Um, so for the, we uh, we like to take a look at the other team's main players, and then some players to watch. I'm going to give my choices. Um, the, their three main players now would be. Jericho Hellams, uh, DJ Funderburk, and uh, Manny Bates. Funderburk and Bates are both big men who um, 
I guess they don't really complement each other that well, but they might mm-hmm. kind of have to. And Helms is that kind of wing wing combo forward kind of player. Um, and you know that's most of their production now. And then other players to watch are the two freshman point guards, Cam Hayes and Shaquille Moore. Uh, Shaquille Moore has been blowing Four. up offenses with his steals and Hayes mm-hmm. is a you know real good pick and roll point guard prospect you know he and Carson McCorkle were teammates at yep. uh, Greensboro Day School they were the backcourt the number one backcourt at Greensboro Day uh, just last year so and then um, I think the key who in that game I'm gonna say Jay Huff slash Francisco Cafaro Cafaro had probably his best performance of the year last year against NC State, and they are the kind of team that he can be effective because Bates and Thunderbird, they're not three-point threats. They're not pick-and-pop threats. They're, you know, they're going to work. They're trying to get into into the paint. And so, you know, Cafaro, uh, his limited mobility and limited ability out on the perimeter isn't going to be a factor. And then, uh, you know, Jay Huff, he, we need him. He needs to He needs to step up. Um, and they're the kind of opponents that allow him, you know, to really focus on his strengths. So I, I think that's the key for NC State. Yeah, I mean, getting to play State without Devin Daniels um, is just a totally different beast. He's been one of the best pick and roll scorers um, in the country, uh, and not in, along with the ACC. I mean, he mm-hmm. and Carly Jones have really of Louisville have really been the two sort of like high volume. The, the blend of volume and efficiency out of the pick and roll and uh, I, the injury to Daniels, the ACL tear that he suffered against wake. It just, it, it sucks, man. Like he's gotten so much better all, all, all you know, he's been on the court for three years at, mm-hmm. at state, but he's including his red shirt. He just gotten better every year. Um, he had really come into his own, but like, he's the one guy that can really create his own shot that can get to the rim off a live dribble, pretty good passer. It doesn't always look pretty, but it gets to his spots and just like he creates really, really good offense. There isn't a lot of sample to know what state looks like this year without him. He's played Mm -hmm. in over 80% of their minutes. You know, they're going to play Syracuse Sunday night, but even then you're going up against the zone. So you're not going to see the normal state, you know, spread ball screen offense. So you know, Virginia will be going to that game kind of blind, but like, I, I just think it's this is like right for Virginia to sink their teeth in as a pick and roll defense and keep NC State's pick and roll game on one side of the court. And if you do that, like unless State just has a as a monster game shooting the basketball, um, I, I think you can really sort of short short circuit their offense and really grind them down and get them into some crappy late clock situations where they're, they no longer have their best shot maker uh, in Devin Daniels. Now, mm-hmm. Cam Hayes is Cam Hayes has shown some ability to make big shots. He does not pressure the rim like Daniels, but on a small sample, he's been a very good pull-up shooter um, so far this season, but turnovers are, are an issue. Um, Shaquille Moore loves to try to split ball screens. So depending on how Virginia guards those, I think that's something to keep an eye on, but that's sort of one way for, State maybe on you know a couple times to, to perhaps try to like knife into the paint and get through to Virginia's second line um, help defenders and that's when you can really look for guys like Thunderbird and Bates around the basket um, mm-hmm. when those guys play together they're really str- when Bates and Thunderbird play together and this is what I tried to sort of highlight in the piece like their state is really really struggles offensively and it's a spacing issue because all of a sudden they can't play the four out around one. They've they got two guys in the middle. 
you know, Funderburk can't step out and shoot. Neither one of those guys are passers. Um, Funderburk's actually one of two guys in the ACC this year to play at least 200 minutes and have zero assists. Uh, JJ Trainer of Louisville. It's, the, it's amazing. It is. It's amazing. Uh, I, I think Funderburk's like career assist rate over three seasons at NC State is like two and a half percent. Like he's just a possession. You know, like he's an incredibly efficient scorer, and that's really what State asks him to do, obviously. But like now, it's just so easy if you hedge or trap against those ball screens or ice those ball screens. It's I think it's just really easy to keep state on one side of the court. There's no obvious way for them to rotate it. If they're playing Bates and Funderburg together. Now, if they have Helms at the four, um, it's easier for them because he can, he can shoot a little bit and he, he can pass from the middle of the court and they can unlock some offense. But if you do that, like right now, Funderburg and Bates are probably their two best players, you know, and it's just a tough situation to be in where, if you play your two best guys together, you're going to be limited offensively in ways that are inherent risks to your, to your high volume pick and roll offense. Like no one runs more pick and roll than state. They don't really have another sort of like base offense to go to like UVA mixes stuff up and goes Mm -hmm. locker mover inside triangle or middle thirds, or they go spread pick and roll. And, you know, once upon a time they used to run continuity ball screen. So like (laughs) state doesn't really have that, you know, Um, I still don't understand why Tony's completely gone away from the continuity ball screen. I just, I don't get it. And I especially off. I just, it seems like such a, and I just thought, Hauser as a guy to fill the role that Hunter had two seasons ago. Yeah. He's going, he's filling into the slot. You know, I was just like, this is the way that you get side to side movement. Yeah, Hauser in, in the, the corner, you know, Hauser and Murphy in the corners, Kia and Huff running the, the continuity ball screen. Hauser with the, with the role replace Murphy with the role replace. It's like, it's the person that was perfect the- for it. And he doesn't, he doesn't do it. I don't understand it. Yeah. That has been, um, a bit of you've seen it like I've charted maybe one a couple possessions here and there but seen almost nothing almost nothing to report of that and yeah I even thought with Beekman as a guy that can yeah. like you know, attack and has a great first step like to uh, me it's it, it's coaching negligence yeah it, it's that's a that's a I'm sorry it's I'm and I'm not I don't care how great a coach Tony Bennett is I'm not gonna back away from that just like 2016-17 I thought his roster management was shit and that it was his worst coaching job of his of his career, I think that his offensive strategy for this season of ditching the continuity ball screen is a boneheaded blunder. It's I just thought it was something that would make it was tough to do last season because of the even though you had Dikite and Huff, uh, you know there wasn't enough maybe enough ball handling and, and shooting to sort of and like no corner the, shooting. You had no yeah. corner shooting. And now you've got, now it seems like you have all the pieces. Look, maybe they'll try it. Like, I mean, right. they tried this, like the, the five out motion St. Joe's sort of offense yeah. at the start of the year. That's sort of like gone by the wayside. Like they, you know, I thought that out, was a good know? foundation. I was waiting for them to start putting some ball screens in that. Yeah. They I picked know. the one five out system that doesn't have any ball screens <laughs> in it. When they have the, one of the uh, top 10 pick and roll roll men in the fucking country in their, on their roster. And they go to an offense that uses no pick and roll. It's who it's does little, that? It's a little, it's a little perplexing. I mean, look the the middle the, that little thirds offense was doing did a lot of great mm-hmm. work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see. Look, maybe they'll mix in some of those continuity looks. It just seems 
like the roster is is really set up for it. But um, yeah, that I don't that think they practiced practiced it at all. That's 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 a little again. It's and look, maybe some of the COVID disruption. You know, I, I don't. It's it's hard to say like just how much stuff has played into it. But I even think you know the continuity looks are the ways that like when when Huff's out, it's like Shedrick should be able to do that too. Yeah. Just like screen and, and dive bomb to the hoop and like really show off your, your frame and athleticism mm-hmm. that way. Um, and then for NC State too, the last thing to be prepared on is just like, look, everyone knows this by now, but State's going to switch one through four defensively, um, regardless of who's playing the four, whether it's Thunderbird playing in those big lineups with uh, with Manny Bates or whether it's, you know, Jericho Hellums or Darion Sebron, like, they're going to switch one through four basically across the board. Um, you know, that seems like something that's where Hauser could perhaps get a, get, a, get some mismatches and mm-hmm. get to his mid-post game. Like, that's potentially an opportunity. Um, and when they guard pick and roll 1-5, like, they're going to they're gonna drop with Bates. Um, and maybe that's where you can get to some of the, the pick and pop with Huff. Um, right. You know, there should be there, – there are opportunities there. I it. This is going to be a really, really tough matchup for State, even if Daniels was playing in this game. Mm-hmm. And, and now they're missing their their top engine. And, you know, he's a pretty good two-way player and defender. So, um, yeah, look, I, I I just – it's who knows how this is going to go. Guard, you know, trying to judge these things on a game-to-game basis has been fruitless so far for me this season, I feel like. But um, it, this, this is not a matchup that sets up really great for NC State. I'll leave it at that. All right. And then, and then uh, moving on to Louisville, who we have on, on the Saturday. weekend. Yeah. Louisville, they're uh, a, kind of a mystery to me. Uh, you know, obviously there are three top players. There are two top players, Carly Jones and David Johnson are obvious. And then the third top player, I went ahead and picked Jalen Withers, who's done a really good job of giving them someone in the five. He's undersized. He came there as a wing, but he's – He's playing a really, you know, pretty good post now with with Malik Williams out. They've really desperately needed that. Um, and then in terms of other players to watch, I'm gonna again go with two: Dre Davis and Quinn Slazinski. Um, Davis is the kind of guy who could blow Virginia up. He's extremely aggressive and physical. He's like a six seven guy who just is always attacking the ball and attacking the backboard offensively and defensively and and he's you know he's going to be hard for Virginia to handle uh, and Slazinski is a guy who's he's like an energy guy he shoots a ton of threes he hasn't so far hit a ton of threes <laughs> but if he suddenly if Saturday is his hot game where he, the guy suddenly just hits three in a row. That that could be a big problem for Virginia. So that's why I, I put him down as a player to watch because he could be the one that you know just makes you tear your scouting report in half and throw it up in the air. Um, and you know, uh, Kihei Clark's going to be to me the key player in this one. Uh, he he's got to handle Carly Jones, which I think he can. I think he can, and I think Reese Beekman can can handle David Johnson and and keep those two guys off their game. And you know, Louisville, I've watched several times, and and every single game of theirs I've watched has been a t- a terrible basketball game <laughs> because they just look horrible on offense, and their defense just it it's taken teams like Kentucky and Clemson that are bad anyway, and just made them look 
Like, why are they, why would they even be on a high school court? And mm-hmm. so these games are just terrible. Um, but they're winning a lot of them and they're going to be a threat to win. It's it, to win this one in that same kind of way. Yeah. Well, Carl I think Jones has to be the, the transfer, you know, of the year. I mean, he's just, I was not expecting him to be this good. And he just, you know, he's a senior. He's, he's just got a lot more poise out on the court, and and it shows. He's mm-hmm. he's distributing the ball well. He's scoring, you know, at ease. He's at, really at crafty. He's a really yeah, crafty and, player, and, and, he, and he does little I things. I was expecting, yeah. Good. I, I was expecting Dave Johnson to make this huge step up this year, and you know. Maybe if this is serving Johnson well that he just gets another year to just sort of be the you know the the stud on the wing, and I, I guess Johnson still is the one who worries me. I mean he's the guy who I know has you know that next gear, mm-hmm. and he's he's going to be their one consistently me. good three point shooter. He's hitting forty percent from three and yeah. on the most attempts on the team. So yeah, he he is the one. Um, he's just the, the big weakness in his game this year so far is when he's turning a ball over at an incredible rate. His turnover rate is 24.6, which is just really bad. Um, yeah, with Louisville, like, he, I didn't think it was going to look pretty this year because I figured, you know, their two best players are obviously Carly Jones and David Johnson, as, as you guys highlighted. Um, but those are two guys that, and, I, and luckily Johnson's spot up game is much improved over last season. Like his catch and shoot game's been been very good so far mm-hmm. this season. Um, but those are two guys that don't, you know, there's some level of like overlap and diminishing returns when it comes to their skills because they're both like pick and roll point pick and roll guards. I mean, DJ's more of a combo, um, and, and Carleek is sort of like a pure point. But um, but yeah, like the, it's just. I think this this Louisville team, you know, just looking at sort of like their fundamental numbers, this is something I've been talking about all season. Where is their where's their secondary shooting? Um, the first two years Chris Mack was at Louisville, you knew you could count on Jordan Wara and Ryan McMahon as guys that would run around, run off screens, um, and just bomb threes. And Louisville's three-point attempt rate has fallen each year over the last mm-hmm. three years. It was 43% two seasons ago, 38% last season, and now it's down to under 32% this year, oh, like an almost yeah. 7% decline. Um, and they're only making 31.5% of their threes. So, like, they're not taking threes, and they're not making a lot of threes, even when they do take them. Mm-hmm. They're getting next to nothing. Um, uh, yeah, what, 23.5% of their points this season have been on three-point looks. Like, that's, out, that's like, outside the top 300 nationally. Um, it is like a deviation from where they've been the last couple of years. Um, and then they don't have a, a great post threat. Like David Johnson might be their best post up guy. Um, they post up Dre Davis or Sam Williamson too, but Jalen Williams, Jay's part of me, Jalen Withers has been great this year, but he's more of like a, you know, a cutter on the baseline, work in the dunker spot, mm-hmm. pick and pop face up a little bit. Uh, and like the, Steven Enoch was like the guy they would throw it into on the block the last couple of years. Um, and Enoch was like good, not great, but you know, he, he drew, he scored frequently enough and drew enough contact, but like, so they just, they lost all of their movement shooters and they lost their like volume contact post-up threat in Enoch. And so 
a lot of the stuff that Mac was running the last couple of years, like they've had to sort of adjust and really just go to spread ball screen offense. They use Johnson and Jones. They play off one another. You know, they'll do these guard to guard screen rolls and screen and pops. And that's something to keep an eye on because that's, they've had some success with that this year. Um, but really it's just like, they need one of those guys to get hot and have a big game. And then they just ride that whomever that is in the, uh, the, the pick and roll Jones has been awesome this year. I do uh, color commentary for, for high point university men's basketball, which is in the big South conference, okay. which, which is what um, Rad is the league that Radford is into. Mm-hmm. So I saw Carly Jones last year uh, a lot. And I called uh, at least one Carly Jones game last season. And um, I, he was, I mean, he was just like, you know, five times better than everyone on the court. He's only weighs like, you know, 180, 185 pounds, but he's a power guard and he plays stronger and bigger than he looks. He has incredible moves. Like you said, he's crafty and his moves to sort of like separate from defenders. in that last third of the court are ridiculous. He's got a little, little pro hop move. He's got all kinds of herky jerk behind the back handles, ball fakes. Um, he just knows all the dark arts of the point guard position. And he's, a very, he's a very, unselfish player and a great passer too. Um, so like, like you guys said, I, you, you guys highlighted Clark and Huff as the two guys, two of the guys to watch. And I think it's true. Um, especially on the defensive standpoint, like if you can lock up this team and pick and roll, um, you can really short circuit Louisville because there's just the modes of them. Like, unless they get hot from three, they're, they're not a great three point shooting offense. Um, both in terms of volume, efficiency, and just like what they can actually run uh, with half-court designs that are sort of out the window from years past. They don't have a post game um, or much of one unless it's like the guards or the wings and uh, going to the block. And maybe that's something they'll try to do with if they get David Johnson on Kia Clark or whatever. But if you're UVA, you probably are fine with them trying to like match up hunt like that. Like that's mm-hmm. okay. You probably live with that as opposed to them, you know, you doing what they would actually like to do in the, the flow of a, uh, of a half court set Beekman's going to be huge. And like as much David Johnson, Reese Beekman as we get, will be awesome because mm-hmm. like, you know, those guys are NBA players. Like, you know, not, you know, not this year for Reese Beekman, maybe David Johnson. He's, you know, you see him mocked in the first round in a lot of places, but like eventually in a couple of years, both those guys will be in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it'd be cool to see them match up. Beekman's like a very good point of attack defender um, you know, against Virginia Tech, he had to really run around off the ball and chase Jalen Cohn a lot. Um, and I thought he did okay a couple lapses, but um, this will be a different ask defensively against both NC State and uh, Louisville that are going to run. Both teams going to run a lot of uh, you know spread ball screen offense. Mm-hmm. So prognosis for the week, um, I actually feel pretty good about both games. Of course. I felt pretty good about yesterday's game, but um, you know, you're going to the barn in Blacksburg, and Blacksburg. It's just rivalry game. It, it, you know, it's a cliche, but throw all the analysis out the window for those. Mm-hmm. I think these two games are a little bit different. Um, NC State's going to be desperate, but then they just—they're always the same. They—they they just if they don't get the steals and get out in transition, they just play really poor half court ball. And mm-hmm. I think don't think Virginia is going to let them do what they want to do. So um, I think we'll win that one handily, and I think we'll beat Louisville. Um, it's going to be an ugly game. 
I, I think this team is going to have to dig down and, and play ugly. For Louisville, I do worry about Dre Davis. Um, I could I could see him drawing a bunch of fouls. I think he's going to be hard for us to guard. He's um, a great player. Sorry to interrupt, but like yeah, he's, no, he's a great player. He's one of the underrated freshmen um, in the ACC, if not the country. Like I, I love him as a multi-year player mm-hmm. and a, mm-hmm. a guy that could maybe – become like eventually become like another Dwayne Sutton for them. But like, he's a, he's just a stud, man. Um, every play he makes, every play he makes feels to me like he's on the edge of a flagrant foul. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's strong, man. He's strong. He's real and strong. He just physical. plays with physical abandon. And if it's a tightly called game, he's got trouble, but, um, I think he really challenges the referees with the physical edge that he plays with and the abandon that he throws his body around after the ball and and at the rim when he's got the ball. Uh, so he's he's definitely trouble. And I think uh, I think him doing that and Slazinski suddenly hitting three threes are, are the two wild cards that could blow it up for us. Um, I think we'll handle Carlick Jones fairly well because Kihei is no – spring chicken you know he's been in in the wars and so and the size isn't that big isn't really a big thing for him this time um so i feel pretty good about both matchups i I don't think either one of them is going to be a one possession game and i think virginia is going to win both all right well you know we'll be here uh next week to uh review that so So what do you think brian you know yeah i mean i like virginia and in both of those games, a state's sort of reeling. I mean, we'll see how they how they fare against Syracuse. Um, but yeah, UVA should be favored in both of those games. And I, I think Louisville just comes down to you know, how do you guard Jones and Johnson, and do they continue to struggle shooting the ball? You know, if you catch them on the wrong night, and they're like you said, Slazinski gets hot, or Josh Nickelberry, who's one of their other guys that they try to run some shooting possessions for, you know, if one of those guys gets hot, it, you know, it's a different, maybe it's a different ball game or, mm-hmm. or Jones or Johnson, you know, their pull-up shooting is lethal or whatever, but Virginia's a better team than both state and Louisville. Virginia is going to be a better team than most teams they play um, between now and the, you know, the end of the season. So um, I like, I, and I don't think either team presents like crazy matchup issues, you know what I mean? Where you mm-hmm. might see some variance and, you know, have the potential, a little more potential for an upset. I just think with Louisville, again, that 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 backcourt makes them a threat to win just about any game. You know, with the exception of you know you're playing Baylor or Gonzaga or whatever. But it's like because those guards are really really good. Um, but yeah, I just I, I like how UVA matches up with more of those teams. They have more offense, more style of more styles of play, and just sort of better personnel too. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for uh, at least giving us someone who can rationally talk about <laughs> yesterday's game. Uh, I've enjoyed, as I said, reading your stuff for a couple of years now. At least two years. How long have you been doing that for ACCSports.com? Yeah, I guess three three or four years now. But it took a little bit of time to sort of like get, get humming. And I, I really mm-hmm. think it was the 18-19 season which was like a super fun year to cover the ACC because yeah. Duke had Zion and RJ and Virginia was so, so damn good that year as they won the title. But even early in the season, you were like, you just knew this Virginia team was going to be freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. And so that year was really when things started to sort of like 
jump a, a little bit for me. And I had, I mean, I had a blast covering the, that was, that was a highlight for me that season. It really was. Um, and I, I was even lucky enough to get to be in Charlottesville uh, for the Duke UVA game that year, oh, which cool. was, which was so, yeah, it was a blast and got to have, you know, a weekend in Charlottesville, which was super fun too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and had lots of good meals and, you know, places to eat and drink and stuff like that. So yeah, that was like a special fun weekend. So that year was really when things started to sort of like, I think really like gather a little bit of steam for me as far as like covering, covering the league. Good. All right. Well, appreciate you coming in and hopefully we'll have you back on. Yeah. Happy to come anytime. Well, we'll, we'll hold you to that. So perfect. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So that's all that's for, that's for us tonight. Uh, Thank you for joining us, and um, we'll catch you on the after these games. Wahoo, everybody! Wahoo!